Hey, hello, and welcome to the Women and Manufacturing podcast. My name is Fran Brunel. I'm the president of Accelerated Manufacturing Brokers, a company that specializes in lower middle market manufacturing mergers and acquisitions nationally. And I'm your host for today's show. So today we're welcoming to the show Elizabeth Alfano. Elizabeth is the CEO of VegTech Invest, a pure play fund investing in alternative proteins and the food revolution, which we're going to learn more about today. Elizabeth is a plant-based expert, and she speaks globally, including um, recently at the UN Global Leaders Com uh, Compact Summit. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's, we're delighted that you can join us today. What can you tell us? Introduce our listening audience to VegTech Invest. Tell us what you do and why you do it. Well, oh, thanks for that. Yeah, so just kind of picking up on, on what you were saying and a little bit of clarification there. So VegTech Invest is the creator, advisor to the world's only plant-based innovation ETF. That's called EATV. So an ETF is something that's traded in the public markets, and it's a basket, just like you go to the grocery store and you have your basket and you say, oh, gosh, you know, I'm going to be really healthy this week. I'm getting rice and beans and maybe Beyond Meat Burger and something else. Um, so that would be a sort of plant-based basket, and that's what you have here, but on the stock market. So um, that's what we do. And the reason we do this is because we see, and I know we'll talk about it in depth on this podcast, we see a transformation shift of the global food supply system. That's why this year's uh, topic for the first time at COP27, it, the United Nations Annual Summit on Climate Change brought in food systems change for the first time. We see this happening on a global scale, really kind of coming to a tipping point around 2027, but just getting started now. And we're ramping up to help people, one, have impact and be a part of that shift and to, you know, capitalize on that mega trend if that's something that's of interest to them. So it's an Fabulous. exciting time. Yeah. So, you know, you and I have discussed that the listening audience for this podcast is mostly manufacturing. And right now people might be saying, okay, there's a disconnect, but this, what is happening in food, um, a revolution and transformation is going to affect food, the food manufacturing sector. And it's also going to dramatically affect private equity investment into it. Mm -hmm. And anytime you see um, that there's going to be growth in a sector, it attracts capital, right? And so you know, one of the things, my reasons for wanting to have you as a guest is I don't think a lot of people understand what's happening with population growth mm. and how we will actually need to change what we're doing to have a sustainable food supply. Um, you know, the population is going to grow. I think it's estimated at close to 10 billion by 2050. And if we don't change what we're doing, um, it's, it, it's not going, we're not going to have a sustainable food supply. So you, you're an expert in this. Speak into that a little bit, if you can, the need for change in the food supply. 
So happy to do that. There's so much to unpack here. I'm going to start with uh, global population growth, but we'll we'll see that quickly we start talking about so much more. First of all, yes, we're about to get to 10 billion people by just about 2050, but we just crossed the 8 billion people uh, threshold. So things are moving quickly. You're going to see that growth in Africa and in Asia, not Europe and the United States, but you're going to see a lot in Africa and Asia. So the reason we need to shift our global food supply system to be able to accommodate that 20, 25% increase in population is that how we currently use our resources to create food is incredibly inefficient. Now you talked about the investing standpoint, business hates inefficiency, industry hates inefficiency, right. but governments hate inefficiency because there's no political legitimacy if you can't feed your people. So we're starting to get to what kind of stakeholders are interested in seeing this shift. Okay, but hold on, before we get to that, we'll stay focused on, so how we use our resources right now, you imagine that according to our world and data, 77% of our agricultural land is used to graze crop, to graze um, for animals and to grow crops for animals. Now this 77% returns us 18% of our calories. Now you see, if you increase the population 20%, you're not, you're going to run out of land, but right. that's not the only thing we've all been hearing about droughts. Well, if you're growing crops for all those animals, you're talking about all that water use, according to animal agriculture industries itself, it uses 42% of our clean water supply. Now imagine you cut down trees in the Amazon, animal agriculture responsible for 41% of the world's tropical deforestation. Now, hold on, we need those trees. They pull carbon from the air. They also put out oxygen, but oh, okay, we deforest, we grow crops. Do we give those crops that have protein and fiber to people? No, we give them to animals and they need land water time. So you see the inefficiency. Now quickly put on your business hat, those are not great numbers to have such an enormous middleman. That's the cost of goods sold, really sucking up your bottom line. Um, but it's also inefficient if you want to feed people. So we're not going to be able to use our resources that carelessly as we move forward with a growing population. So that's going to basically demand that we get rid of the middleman. And when you get rid of that animal in the middle, you have all these other kinds of technologies that come to the forefront to save our resources, to use them more efficiently. By the way, in doing so, in getting rid of that animal, you cut down on greenhouse gas emissions, animal agriculture responsible for one third of approximately, so 32%, almost one third of the world's methane emissions. So, you know, you have all these external pressures. You must feed people. You must bring down climate change. You must use your resources better if you're going to, you know, not, you know, right now industry doesn't really have to pay for water, land, eutrophication, which is the dirtying of water from all of the factories that have animals in them, um, the emissions that it puts out. But the public didn't, the public's getting educated. We saw in COVID, the public started reading their labels. They started cooking at home. They're demanding. They want to know their carbon footprint. They want to know how things are made. Millennials are vigilant and Gen Z and Gen Alpha much more vigilant even than millennials. So you see, you're not going to be able to get away with just dumping your external costs on the rest of society and hoping that they pick them up. So all these external pressures are forcing the change in our system. Mm -hmm. How, you know, in your opinion, it, there's also going to be um, a change required in the thought process of food consumers, right? And so how do, you, how do we do that? How do we bridge that? Um, mm -hmm. 
I know that it's starting to change and that recent studies have shown um, people are moving into um, experimenting with veganism and they're not necessarily totally there, but in an effort to have a more healthy lifestyle, they're experimenting with it a few times a week. How do we, how do we move it further along this path? Mm -hmm. Thanks for saying that. So just to kind of recap where we were, we were talking about food insecurity and business bottom line. That means two major stakeholders, governments and industry. Now let's talk about that third major stakeholder, the consumer. Hmm. I would argue that the consumer is not going to actually change that much. They're going to open the door. They're going to open their mind and they're going to do what they do best, which is they love choices. Just walk down the chip aisle. You'll be like, oh my God, it's, it's a whole grain chip. It's not a whole grain chip. It's salted. It's not salted. It's a triangle. It's a square. It's stacked in a can. It's loose in a bag. It's blue. It's yellow. I mean, there's an entire aisle dedicated to chips. Wait, there's an entire aisle dedicated to bread. It's sliced. It's not. It has honey. It doesn't. It, you know, I mean, the, the pasta sauce, we could go on. So right now, consumers don't have a lot of choice with meat. It's a very small aisle and, and right. consumers love choice. So will consumers change? I don't really know. I think they're going to continue to get some meat. I think they're going to open their minds and they're going to say, hey, if plant-based is, is cheap enough, you know, if the price is the same and if the taste is good, just got a nail taste. The taste is right. good. I'll add that to the cart. And then cultivated meat, you might've seen just as recently as last week, a company called Upside Food got its first no questions letter from the FDA. That means that's the first step and almost the last step in getting cultivated meat, otherwise known as lab meat, cell meat approved in the US. It's already been approved in Singapore and is served in Israel. So we're a little behind there, but okay. So I think they're going to add all three things to their, they're going to get regular meat, lab meat, and plant-based meat. And they're just going to have this wealth of optionality and they're not going to have to change all that much. And when they do change, because bringing in new choices is some kind of change, I think they're going to change sort of in the way of like, oh my gosh, I can't get it fast enough. I mean, when you're given the choice of, hey, here's meat that puts out a third of the world's greenhouse gas emissions, puts animals in factories, dirties all this water, cuts down all these trees, or you can have the same thing at the same price. That is meat, not even plant-based meat, but actual meat made from cells of its meat. What would you choose? Most people are mm -hmm. going to choose the one that doesn't have all the damage and doesn't have antibiotics. It's got some health right. benefits, you know? So I think herein lies the beauty this is just a win-win-win for the consumer. They get extra choices. They get products that are, you know, ultimately, this is the joy and beauty of, of innovation and technology. Those products are going to be better than meat. Their, their products are not going to be even more in choices, but better than currently. You know, I think in time, this is a little like wacky future sci-fi podcast at the moment, but in time, you're going to yeah. 3D print your own meat in your own kitchen, and you're going to make it bespoke, you know, tailored to you. So you're not only going to get that meat a little bit spicier than you were in the grocery store, you're going to get it with more vitamin D because that's what's important to you. I mean, thinking way down the line, it's very exciting. I agree with you that choice, having more choice will change the dynamic. Um, I was excited. I walked into a Wegmans near where I live and they had an entire end cap of plant-based meat. And I was like, wow, that's a change, Yeah, you know, to have a, an entire end cap. 
Um, but I agree, you know, other other products have rows and rows of, of space to them. So for those who are um, not familiar, can you talk about um, cultivated meat? What's it cultivate? Like give, a, give our listening audience a little bit of education in that if you can. Sure, I will. Because at VegTech Invest, we talk about the umbrella of plant-based innovation, and that includes plant-based meats, so your plant-based burgers and chickens. That includes technology like precision fermentation. We can talk about that a little bit if you want, like making cheese without the cow and how that happens. And that also talks about the technology of cultivated meat or lab meat. So what that does is it there are labs all over the world that have genes and cells and all the scientific information that people study. So you can go to any lab and you can get a cell of an animal and you can, upon feeding that cell, things like plant-based sugars, et cetera, that's what we call it, part of plant-based innovation, give it its amino acids, a healthy um, environment, the right temperature, et cetera. And you're going to grow the exact piece of meat that you want. So now think about this from a food justice standpoint, how many people can afford filet mignon, that very tiny piece of meat in that thousand pound cow, very few if you're growing that meat in a cell, it's filet mignon for everybody. That includes Africa, Asia, et cetera. So, you know, some very important environmental food justice issues that go along with this, the um, uh, sanitation aspects of not growing meat in a factory. According to the United Nations, the top three reasons for the next pandemic, not the pandemic that we're in right now, the next one, all related to eating meat. Top two reasons are the intensification of factory farms, if I use the word farm, I shouldn't. It's really animal factories, pretty much live beings living in their own feces, but to snout. Hard to outrun a pandemic in those conditions. So, yeah. um, you know, think about that. We don't have to have that pandemic risk on our business books or in our households. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about the fermented meat, because I'm guessing that a lot of the listening audience does not know about this either. So yes. share with us a little bit. So very cool. Now we talked about choices. I think this is such an interesting choice for consumers because you've got, you know, I must cook at home and make rice and beans. Not everybody does that. Okay. Then you move on to plant-based foods. You think, well, okay, maybe they were processed or they came in a box or whatever. Then you move on to this precision fermentation and biomass fermentation So very cool. You think about the foods we already eat that are fermented. So we all have a bread because that's yeast. You know, we all have beer. We all like beer, you know, in these huge fermentation tanks. So it's the same concept. You've got these fermentation tanks that are biomass fermenting. So with the help of microbes, they're creating whole slabs of meat. Microbes, its own kingdom, neither plant nor animal, is a whole food. It's not processed. It's, um, you know, lots of protein. And of course, like all foods, it's all about the seasoning. That's why people use A1 steak sauce because the steak is just meh, but the sauce is what they want. So, you know, you're just going to season it the way you want it. And you've got that not processed, high protein, environmentally sound, et cetera you know, whole cut of meat. So that's coming. It's called biomass fermentation. Then there's also precision fermentation where you just take a gene from that same scientific database. You take the gene with the help of microbes and you're feeding it. It's good plant-based sugars and amino acids, et cetera. You can grow just one 
thing. So you think about what's so important to cheese. It's casein. Casein is this animal protein that makes things melt and stretch. It makes it gooey. It makes it addictive. It's what people crave in cheese. Kind of hard to have cheese without the casein. But what if you could just grow casein? You wouldn't have to take baby cows away from their mothers to take the baby's milk, which is weird because why are humans drinking animal milk? Okay, whatever. So, you know, you don't have to go through that thing. Just grow the casein and add some fat and make your own gooey, melty animal cheese without the animal. Wonderful for the business bottom line. Mm-hmm. So there, there is a, a wealth of new technologies that are making all of this possible. Yes, I know. It's so exciting. And that's why well, that's what we focus on at VegTech Invest. I mean, yeah. these people often say to me like, oh gosh, Elizabeth, well, you really think that the global food supply system is changing as if it's something that I want, or it's something that a, a small group of vegans want or something. I mean, I like vegans. I like them a lot. They're nice people. We are not talking about them. They are a small group of people that are politically insignificant. They have no political power. We're talking about industry, governments, and consumers demanding this technology, wanting this change, needing this change, bringing in this technology. So this isn't something that's being pushed onto people. This is something that is really quickly being pulled in. And because of this, because those three stakeholders that we talked about all needing and wanting the same thing all at the same time, it's a really powerful force. This shift is going to happen really quickly, predicated on the right infrastructure. That's why I agreed to do this podcast because you might be thinking like, well, why is she here? Because manufacturing is so critical to this whole thing. We're going to need new bioreactors because the bioreactors we have for alcohol aren't going to be the same as for food. And the bioreactors we have for pharmaceuticals, just kind of a little fun side note. I was talking about that precision fermentation. We no longer factory make pigs uh, for insulin. We precision ferment it because it's just not sanitary. You know, you're going to get traces of feces. You can't do that when you're shooting people with insulin who have diabetes. You have to have really clean insulin. So as well as it's just easier to control, it's easier to make, all this sort of stuff. So we already do this technology. It's not that trippy, folks. We already do this in pharmaceuticals and in some capacity beer, although it's a little different. But, um, But, you know, pharmaceuticals get to charge a lot for things. Food can't be that way. So this, right. this also impacts manufacturing because cost sure. obviously impacts manufacturing. So this is why we're doing this podcast together today, because so much of what makes this sh- food transformation possible is getting the right infrastructure in place, having the right manufacturing. Yeah. And that's seriously, that's what I hoped for in this call. And I think we've, we've kind of accomplished that is, you know, telling the manufacturing community that there is nothing but opportunity here. Oh my gosh. To tell the private equity community, there is nothing but opportunity here. Um, and I'll raise my hand and the, the public markets as well. And that's where yes. we focus our energy. We're the only ones talking about this on Wall Street. And Wall Street is like, oh my gosh, tell me more. Just because ESG, people maybe have heard about that. People investing for monetary reasons, but also impact. You know, they, they previously thought they only had alternative energy or electric vehicles right. to invest in. Now they've got alternative proteins. So Wall Street's all over it. You're going to, this is how the snowball, I 
probably don't need to tell you, you know this, but yeah. you know, more money comes in, then more money follows more money. And then you start to see a very fast food system shift. Yeah. When do we hit that tipping point? Do you think? Well, everyone defines tipping point a little bit differently from the consumer standpoint, I'll say probably 2027, 2028, when people okay. are going to be like, well, this is a no brainer tastes the same and it's cheaper. Let's move on. Right. Like most people don't even read labels, right? The, the single mother of three, you can't ask her to make this an intellectual debate. She has to grab it and move on. That's so, right. Yeah. So th that person, we were probably looking at 2027, 2028 into the 2030s, we'll say mass adoption, but mm -hmm. that tipping point where it starts to go, like everyone just says, this is a no brainer. You're looking at 27, 2027, 2028 manufacturing comes way before that. So does investing. You know, so to get that upswing, you want to be in long before that. So right. um, the work that we do, this B2B work is, is you know, it's happening now, really. This is why COP27, the United Nations on Climate Change, just started talking about food insecurity, food efficiency, feeding a global population, bringing down methane emissions and um, giving consumers more choices. They started talking about it this year. Yeah. What else would you like to share with our audience? What if what what does the manufacturing community need to know um, that we haven't touched on? I would say, uh, first of all, feel free to reach out for me because I'm sure I'm going to think of something right after we stop this podcast and I'll be like, oh, <laughs> shoot, I should have said it. So, you know, come find me on LinkedIn or, or perhaps um, you'll share my email with people. It's fine with me if you do. Um, so I'm an open book. Please reach out to me. There are so many opportunities. I think that's, we've talked about it, but maybe I'll just underscore there's more than we've even talked about today. It's more than just bioreactors and it's more than just changing the machinery to handle food rather than pharmaceuticals or something. There are um, opportunities in the plant-based solutions that we talked about that we want that, that help the cells grow or, or mm -hmm. help the fermentation, you know, I mean, every step of that manufacturing process, there's opportunities in some places, there's no one there's, you know, they're still doing it from a venture capital startup, small team way. It hasn't even been industrialized for lack of a better expression to anything that's systematic. So large enough that we could count on from what we, in a manufacturing, in a true manufacturing yeah. way. So I know in the precision fermentation, they're just starting to build pilot plants, not even official, you know, plants that aren't, um, you know, yeah. pilots. So, so, um, so much opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So much to talk about too. So I would encourage the listening audience to um, follow Elizabeth on LinkedIn. You're oh, always posting really great videos that are incredibly educational um, on this industry, what's happening, um, you know, growth that's expected, new technologies. Um, it's just a fabulous learning tool. So again, if people want to uh, learn more, how should they, how would you suggest that they best reach out to you, Elizabeth? Come find me on LinkedIn. I also do a podcast called the Plant-Based Business Hour. So, you know, subscribe for free on, on iTunes. Um, and you can also follow the VegTech Invest newsletter. So just go to vegtechinvest.com and sign up for our newsletter. We're constantly talking about the shift of the global food supply system, how it impacts the various stakeholders, where the opportunities are to make money, where are the opportunities to invest. Some people don't want to be in the business end of it. They don't want to do any of that, but they do want to invest on the upside. So um, come 
find us happy to talk about all of those. And this is a very dynamic sector. So we might find ourselves back here in eight months talking about what's happened in the last six, eight, nine months, because it's going to yeah. start moving that quickly, folks. Yeah, it, it has to. The planet is leaving us no choice. Uh, and you can see how war in Ukraine has underscored, as did COVID. You know, COVID, we saw labor markets were disrupted, food supply was disrupted. Now we've got the same thing with Ukraine. So it is so apparent to governments around the world. This is, you know, going to start happening really quickly here. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us and sharing your insights. I realized that this was a little bit off the beaten path for you, but there is a huge connection to manufacturing. So we very, very much appreciate your time. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And I'll just say one last word um, on the product side, because I, I know everyone in this industry, I'm so deeply involved in the industry. Um, it's great for me to just kind of keep a roster of who is out there as a resource. So again, that's another reason to contact me because on the flip side, I have so many small companies that are saying, I can't find a co-manufacturer. I must get ah. this request like three times a week. I can't oh, find no a co-manufacturer. Oh my God. I can't, but that's, that is the bottleneck of the industry. We'd have faster growth if we had more manufacturing and I'm getting, it's primarily for um, plant-based foods, but now and more and more it's precision fermentation and other things. I can't find a co-manufacturer. And, and sometimes it's the co-manufacturers having labor issues. So they're yeah. not able to take on smaller contracts and therefore we're the first ones to get booted out when they start yeah. losing their employees. So this, we're all having supply chain issues, of course. Yeah. So or they don't have capacity, right? Or they don't they, have capacity. They're, they're at full capacity and they can't, they can't take any more co-packing work. So yeah, so if I can help connect people, you know, small business to manufacturer, et cetera. Happy to be that for everybody. So yeah, I'm just underscoring what you're saying. Come find me. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And hey, if you're a woman in manufacturing or in an industry that is servicing the manufacturing community and you'd like to be on the show, simply reach out to me on LinkedIn, Francis Brunel, or just call my office at 908 387-1000. I would also like to encourage our listeners to visit whampodcast.com where you can see all of our shows and other shows brought to you by the Jacket Media Company. Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate your time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.